Once again, welcome to those of you who are following online and to those of you who are here to the first wedding day of all time. This is just what we've just read. And I'm going to call it our wedding because we, we are all there. This is, uh, um, as, as we look at uh, Adam and Eve, Adam seeing Eve, I want us to um, just unpack a few things from these uh, verses. But I've got a question for you. Can you remember the first wedding you attended? Can you remember the first wedding you attended? Um, was it in the 70s, 80s, 60s? Um, you can go 40 years back, 30, 20, 15 years back. But what I want you to know is that today we are going way further back in time than even that. We are going further back in time than even 40 years, 50 years, or 20 years. And in my opinion, the timing in history is just perfect for this talk. It is perfect for this talk because as we look at the origins of marriage, and touch on scriptures, teaching on God's design for that, and sexuality, will become aware that marriage has become a hot topic in most spaces. Marriage has become a very hot topic in most spaces. And I can say especially in the country where we, we are, especially in Cape Town, it has become a hot topic. And you are going to discover, together we are going to discover why is this, why is marriage become a hot topic in our culture. For those of you who are married, I know for sure that lockdown and COVID have, for most people, put their marriages under tremendous pressure. And through new tests, I am speaking as a married person. When you used to drive in the morning, you would get into the car, it was more kind of things that you could avoid, you could run away from. You know, the excuse was work. But the fact that you are in lockdown, actually, some side of yourself will start to appear which you did not know before lockdown. I think couples will agree with me, they're looking. I saw my good friend, Alois, is looking. Is this man really... <laughs> you know, there are some just good, some stuff that we never knew before this current pressure. I never knew of Sabrina. She never knew of me. You know, but when, because of all these pressures, then you start to discover some stuff. You look, you said, what? But it is, it has been also a season of increased polarization of views where the so-called liberal left and conservative Right, who are currently fighting the battle around their views on marriage and union. And what this has done is it has created confusion among people, some people losing hope for relationship or romance, uh, romantic relationships. Some people are losing even hope for marriage. Instead of it causing hope, but it's actually destroying so many people that people are starting to question the design, the marriage that God has designed from start, people start to question it, just because of the battle between some different groups of people. And some people are looking at divorce and saying, or singleness, to be single or divorced, it's, it's, it becomes something that is shaped by other different groups of people uh, based on their views. And people start to make decisions based on the external views and not based on scriptures when it comes to the issue of marriage. But we will all agree that in many ways marriage has featured prominently in almost all sectors of society. As I speak today, I want to speak to all of the different groups of people, the divorced, the single but giving the majority of my time to followers of our Lord Jesus Christ, getting a refreshed and inspiring view of marriage as taught in Scripture. And to those unmarried, 
to get a right view of marriage that will assist you. Will assist you in finding a contentment that far exceeds anything marriage can provide. Because sometimes we think, if I can only get married, then I'm going to be content. So to do that today, I want you to be aware of something. Sever something, to cling to something. Those are the things that I want us to look at. So we are going to start with the first one. Be aware of something. What is that something that you are to be aware of? You are to be aware of, uh, you are to beware of idolatry. Now, when we look at the scripture that we just read, in Moses writing this passage, he's writing to contrast Israel's God to the idolaters. There were so many other gods around in God's people, and Moses wrote this to make sure that to help them, to assist them, and to contrast the fruit of life that comes with working with God rather than the devastation that comes with worshiping idols. That's a reason why Moses actually wrote this for them, and it is also for us. In this text, the father is bringing, that's what we just see, the father is bringing the bride to the groom. And in this particular case, at this wedding, the father is God. He is the one who is bringing the bride. God is doing the honors of walking his bride down into the heart to the groom. He's walking this wife, he's walking this woman to the husband. And as we read the scripture, notice what happens when Adam sees Eve. When Adam sees Eve, he literally explodes into heart. The first piece of, 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 of what he said, the first piece of recorded art in human history. If you go look in your Bible, the text is placed differently because what Adam said, it's not just any kind of saying, it's a poem. It's a poem that Adam says. Adam sees his bride coming towards him and he breaks into tears of joy at the sight and he burst into a poem of gratitude, joy, appreciation and awe. I think we've tried to, most of men have tried to do exactly just as Adam you know, at the wedding day, when you see the bride is coming, it's being walked by the parents, you look, you just go in tears, you start to picture, you start, but Adam was the first one when he saw God walking this woman towards him. He actually came up with this poem. He expresses great joy. And we have to understand one thing, that the first Hebrew word in the poem is, at last. I think in the version that Laura read for us, it says it, at last. I know it comes on the scripture that we, we put on the screen. It comes out in English here as this is now. But that word now, which can be translated at last or finally, means Adam is saying, this is what I have been looking for my whole life. He is saying, at last, meaning, this is the thing I have been looking for. This is what I have been looking for all my life. Now, if we read the verses before, you discover that, you know, God brings all the animals and the birds before Adam, and God was watching him to name them. But Adam, when he saw a lion, no matter how powerful a lion is, Adam did not stop and said, at last, here is the thing that I've been looking for. He only uses these words when they brought the wife to him. Now, let's, let's answer this question. Well, what is it that Adam is saying at last? Finally, what is it? We got the answer from the scripture. It says, bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. This is very strange. What is it? What is that? It's a poetic way of saying, and I want to quote Tim 
tell her how he explained this particular expression. He said this, as I see you, I know who I am. So Adam looked at the woman, he looked at the wife, he said, as I see you, I know who I am. Now, if you are a couple, you, a man, is, you have to look at your wife. You said, as I see you, I know who I am. You can do that now, right? I have found myself in you. I am not just coming to another. I am coming to someone who is helping me see who I am. At last, finally, by discovering you, I have found out who I am. Is this not beautiful? You can say this to your spouse even when you are in your 70s, 80s, 90s. That's what he's saying. And I want us to spend a bit of time. Let's picture Adam is in paradise and he has a perfect relationship with God. Yet he is responding to a romance and marriage like this. You know, he's in a very good relationship with God, but when it comes to romance and marriage, this is how he responds. He looks at the woman. He said, at last. So, God is still there. Adam is in a relationship with God, a perfect one actually, but when he got the wife, he said, at last. Here's the key. In both God's eyes and Adam's, marriage is very good. I hope you'd agree with me. Marriage is very good. But I'll say to us, beware of idolatry, that you don't turn marriage to become all. You don't get marriage and repress it. To, you, you don't replace God with marriage. John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, he said this, you may think your biggest problem, spiritually speaking, is the prospect of a bad marriage. He says, every bit as big a spiritual danger is the prospect of a good marriage. Just to paraphrase, he's saying, beware of idolatry. Now, just a little bit of explanation. Here is what he's saying. There is or can be something so powerful about marriage, so fulfilling about marriage, that unless you deliberately stop it, this is what's going to happen. You will look to marriage or your spouse to give you the things only God can really give you. That's what he's saying. Romans 1.25 they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the creator who is forever praised. Amen. There is a danger that we can exchange marriage designed by God with the creator. We, we, we actually think like through this, I can get all my happiness, all my, you, we start to worship it. Can I suggest that idolatry of marriage and romance is at present one of the great causes of contention in our world as relates to sexuality, unions, and the like. And uh, let's look at this a bit in detail. Firstly, I think of how the Idolatry of marriage has caused in many churches a culture of the I haves and have nots. The culture of haves and have nots. Whereby a community, a church, is putting so much emphasis on marriage and looking at people who are married as though they are complete compared to those who are not married and thinking those who are not married are half complete. It feels like those who are married have discovered a holy land, which is not correct. Second, within marriage itself, there is a danger as well. 
a danger whereby when you were thinking of getting married before you actually before your wedding day you never shared with each other your expectation clearly so at the back of your mind you are thinking all my hopes and my expectation will be met if i got married to that man all my hopes and expectation will be will come true if i got married to that woman and you get people using language to say you know just do it for the kids so it's become more like transactional co- convenience it's kind of like if you do this i'll do this if you do that i'll do that in other ways your spouse become a source of your happiness even if maybe they might not know it but you are actually doing it because all your hopes and all your expectations of happiness is put upon them and this idolatry goes it goes beyond the church into society at large in society we found the battle and the fight that's the reason why i said this is a good time to talk about marriage there is a fight battle for identity different kinds of unions wanting to run away from what god had designed as we read marriage is designed by god between two people of opposite sex God did not hold the man on end and walk the man to the woman. He held the woman and walked the woman to the man. And I have to mention this, whether single by choice or not, the notion that a romantic long-term relationship will fill the ultimate void within us is the danger I want to address as well. it's so dangerous singles do it when they imagine marriage will radically save them from their struggles that is that is idolatry when you are single and you start to think if i can only get married then i believe that all things all my troubles are going to end that's not true and married people when you lean all your weight on your spouse to fulfill your dream to get you, to get you what you felt to get when you were single that's not okay and society does it when they ask marriage to bend into areas it was never designed to bend when society trying to bend marriage into the areas it was never designed to bend that is idolatry and what happens when when we do that things break single people they rush into unwise relationships because they are too quick they want to get married and because maybe the church community is putting too much pressure and trying to make sure that people get married or maybe it's just the set, the pressure they feel from community and and they they go and make wrong mistakes you know they choose wrong people they fall into wrong relationships and when it comes to married people you know because of your expectation that you put on your partner you know you end up maybe finding yourselves you know finding that that relationship is not moving forward or maybe so many things start to fall apart there we you get i've come across people who are saying we are just together because of kids you don't want to be in that space you cannot be in a relationship that god had designed to flourish and to see you become more like jesus and you said i am just here because of my kids you know that can happen especially when we put expectation on each other things that god doesn't want us to put on 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 each other
And when it comes to society, people fight for a relationship status achieved when there is available to them a free status to be received. So let's move to Seva God's pattern. The, God, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. I want you to look at this little word, a helper suitable. Helper. The Hebrew word used here, that's translated to the word helper, is regularly used as a military reinforcement. A military reinforcement. You are outnumbered five to one. You are about to be overcome. You are about to be conquered. You are about to be destroyed. Then there is income, the reinforcement. You know, that's the word helper. If you look at it, it is a military reinforcement. In the DRC, uh, in, in my culture, a lot of men know and memorize Ephesians chapter 5. And they use it against their wives. Even those who are not Christ followers. And some people use even this particular scripture. That you are my helper. So ladies, next time your man quotes that verse in some unhelpful way towards you. Remind him that you are the reinforcement. Tell him that I am the reinforcement. That's what it says here. Many times in scripture we can't go there, but God uses, you know, he referred to himself as the help of Israel to rescue them from battle, to, 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 to conquer their enemies. And God uses that, I am your helper. And it is the same language that is used when God looked at Adam, when God looked at a man, he said, it is not good for you to be alone. You need an helper. In other versions, it says someone who is fit for you. You see that word suitable. Some translation tried to translate it. I will make a helper fit for you. I will make a helper meet for you. In other ways, if Andrew wants to lift up a couch that I can't lift myself, I look around and said, come, Sabrina, come help me to lift up this. That's the picture that you should have. You cannot do it without her. It's too heavy. So there is a pattern here. If you read Genesis chapter 1 and 2, uh, which Genesis through the origin of life and the process God uses in creating life and including us in creating life, there's something that you are going to notice of things going together as a pair, in complementary pairs. Think back to Genesis chapter 1. God creates life in complementary uh, these pairs. God did not say, let there be light and light, but he said, let there be light and darkness. God did not say, let there be day and night, but he said, a day and day, he said, let there be day and night. The heavens, which is sky, the earth, land, and, and that's what God created. He didn't say, let there be the heavens and let there be the heavens again. Let there be a light and let there be, the, be a light again. No. And that's similarly when it comes to our relationship, when we come to marriage. It's male and female. To create life. We bear the image of God. And after each pair, God says, this is good. When God sees a man and a woman, he said, this is good. So, complementary parts made to work together. Unity, indifference to create life together. 
And most people call this complementary, complementarity. And I, I believe in it, complementarity meaning that men and women are equal and yet distinct and made to complement one another. So in most cases, many cultures, including my own culture, around the world, this comes as a logical conclusion that men and women were created to complement one another. But that is not a case when you look into the West. Most, I think I have to say this, I think uh, the West have embarked on this experiment of rejecting this foundational reality to say that men and women were created to complement one another. That's the reason why today we found ourselves with a lot of issues when it comes to the view of marriage. How God had designed it. And I just want to take us through, looking, just pausing a bit on this point of marriage, just to look at the relationship between male and female. And this view of complementary partners in men and women. I want us to look at it in details because, as I said earlier, there are so, different, so many different views, so many different groups of people who are actually looking at marriage to say, where on earth was it meant that it should be two opposite sex? But from scripture, that's what we can see. Men and women are equal in dignity and wealth. That, that's what I believe. Men and women are equal in dignity. Both are brilliant and beautiful made by God. They are all beautifully made by God and any system that chooses to undermine another gender, it's not a system that we can support. Any system that try to look at a woman and say she's lesser than a man, this is not what we as Christ followers can support. Or any system that pushes back on God's design, when God created the two and he looked at them, created them in his own image, equal but different, and if anyone tried to push us that away, we cannot agree with it. Based on scriptures. And on one end, in marriage, speaking to those of you who are married, who are married is that we have to resist the temptation that can cause us to lose sight of the goal of marriage. We have to really resist that temptation, which is to help bring your spouse into the glorious image of Jesus. To become like him in his character and love. So if there is that temptation to try and really undermine your spouse and not really living according to the goal of marriage, we need to resist that temptation. We don't have to look at our spouses and think, no, is or she is, you know, lesser than I. No. Other end, we must resist seeing genders as essentially the same with biological differences. We must try to resist. Men and women have complementary differences that are designed to express the image of God. We are all designed differently to express the image of God. Marriage is important, but it's not the only way we express complementary differences between men and women. In family, church, even society, we need mothers and fathers to enjoy the fullness of the love and care of God. We need both genders working together. I also impressed, visited a school uh, this week, a high school, and as they were speaking about their pillars, it got, it's a boys' school, it got to one place, they said, we 
we form or we formed or equip husbands and fathers. You know, something in that line. Like we, the reason we are here, we are here to make sure that we produce husbands and fathers. It's a boys' school. I'd love to see other girls' school having the same kind of view to say we are here to produce wives and mothers. But for this particular school, they were very clear. They said, this is what we stand for. You know what the, the message they sent, the message they sent to the kids, and they actually made a point to say, we have advised other parents to say, maybe your child is not going to cope here because of this and this reason, because this is why we are here. We want your child, the time is going to leave this place to behave like a husband. We want your child, the time is going to, to leave this place to behave like a father. And we, all, we also have to resist this temptation that we find ourselves within a culture, the temptation that men are stronger than women. We have to resist that temptation because that's it. Oh, men are the ones to work and earn a bigger salary and women are there to nurture the kids at home and to make sure that they maintain everything. That's, we have to resist that temptation. That's not how God had designed it. That's not how we should understand the word helper. You are going to help me with the kids. I am going to look money for you and the kids. You are going to... No, that's not the way we should view it. We each one of us need to stand and take our own responsibilities as designed by God. But the moment you start to see yourself as two separate people... We are two separate people because we've got two opposite sex. But when we come together in marriage, we are one. We are one in marriage. Again, it's very important for us to note this. When considering our differences in marriage, we must remember that according to Ephesians 5, marriage is not designed to primarily make us happy but to make us holy. Marriage was never designed to make us happy, but it was to make us holy. You know, when you get to married people who discover after going through a lot of trials and temptation and they got to the point that actually, you know what? This marriage was never designed to make us happy, but it to make us holy, to more become like Jesus, to get, a clo- to, get close to God together to be more like him, to love like him, to care like him. Then you live at peace. But if your view of marriage is that I'm stepping into it so that I can come out as a victorious person, I am going to fulfill all my dream, I'm going to achieve all that I'm looking for, I am going to be happy, then you will step into marriage for wrong, re- for wrong reasons. Because sit with those who have been married for a long time and ask them, do you have good times every single day? They look at you, they said, we wish. If you come ask me to say, is it always green when it comes to your relationship, your marriage with Sabrina? I said, I wish. I wish it was always green. But sometimes it's drought. Sometimes it's dry. But I have to understand I never step into this relationship because somewhere, somewhere, I was so desperate, feeling lonely, or I was waiting. I said, the day I'll marry Sabrina, then I'm going to become, oh, no. Marriage was designed for different purpose. Not to give us happiness, but to make us holy. Marriage is a gift from God, but when we start to see it as a God, there is a problem. Ephesians 5 says that marriage, a husband's right to lead his wife is based on his willingness to imitate Christ's sacrifice. That's really interesting. So if I have to lead my wife, 
I have to be prepared to sacrifice for her. If you are thinking of engaging someone's daughter, you have to think about that leadership comes only with sacrifice. In other ways, you have to look at someone's else daughter and say, I will love you just the same way that Jesus loved the church and laid himself down for her. And also in this relationship, wives are called, when we read Ephesians 5, wives are called to walk with their radically sacrificial husbands in deep oneness and with honor. There, there shouldn't be any competition. The scripture uses the term submit for the wives, but it must be noted that a few verses before that, the verses that a lot of people don't like to read, especially in the context that I come from, Paul tells us that we should all submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. But people don't read those verses before. They just said, you are my wife, you have to submit. But we should all submit to one another before it can get to the wife to submit to the husband. So this is a call to humility and love is our permission to play a card. It's a call to humility. This leads me to my final part of this talk. Cling to the cross. In verse 24, that is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. Ah, this is very interesting. They felt no shame. They were naked. A very good relationship that is not based on any type of interest. There isn't any shame. There is nothing to hide. A perfect relationship that they had with each other before God and their relationship with God. It what had caused them to look at each other and feel no shame at all. Because they know that their relationship was built on the perfect foundation. On the good, in the good soil. The seed, they were standing on a great covenant with God. Here we see a picture of two married people in such a sweet union. That they feel no shame. No sense that they have disappointed their spouse. Or that someone has, for some reason, cheated somewhere. Or someone is doing something that is not according to God's will. They look at each other. There is no shame. Yes, we can have issues. We can have problems. But our marriage is built at the firm foundation, who is Jesus Christ himself. Therefore, there is no way we can run away from our responsibilities. I'll continue to love you the same way that I loved you the first time I saw you. And even if your body changes, you are still going to remain mine. Even if you get shorter or you get taller, you are mine. Nothing is going to change. I'm not going to be ashamed of you. We are going to walk this road together. But COVID-19 has done so many things and has revealed so many things, as I said. I believe, and I guess some of the marriages at this time, you start to question maybe some of the people whether you really married the right person. You know why you are questioning? Because there isn't income anymore. And if you find yourself in that space, I want to ask you a question. Do you really understand why God had designed marriage? Do you really understand why you step into that relationship? Because if you start already to plan and think that you're going to relocate, you're going to start already thinking about another country because of what COVID has done to your relationship, you start already reconnecting with the high school friend online or college, the one you are with at university or college because you are checking. What are they doing at this time? Does he have a job? Is he wealthy? How is his business going? Because on your side, things are no longer looking good. 
That's what COVID has done. And if you find yourself in that space, it is not a good space to be. I think God wants you to hear this message and maybe it is a call for you to get to the point whereby you have to repent because it is not okay. You feel like, oh, with this guy or with this, ma- this woman, I am no longer going to fix. You know, I'm not going to get what I have always been dreaming for because it feels like our lives has come to an end. How to deal with this? How do we deal with this kind of situation if you find yourself in that situation? There is a clue in these verses, but we need the help once again of Ephesians 5 to make sense of this. You see, after Paul has finished explaining marriage in all its beauty and complexity, he says this. This is a profound mystery. This is interesting. In Ephesians 5.32, he said, this is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. It's a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. So in other ways, there is no perfect marriage in existence. Amen. There is no perfect marriage in existence. I see Mike is laughing and moving towards that. There is no perfect marriage in existence. <laughs> and secondly, there is one marriage that is perfect. There is only one marriage that is perfect. See what I did there? Healthy marriages are in fact just a shadow. They are a shadow, a pointer, a tester of the true wedding. And this very first wedding too was a tester of that. You know, the first wedding, Adam and Eve, it was just a shadow and a tester, pointing us to the one, to the real wedding. And here's the thing, we are all invited into that marriage. You see, instead of a man leaving his father and mother, Christ left the comforts of heaven to come to earth. That's what Jesus did. Instead of a man leaving, but Jesus Christ left the comforts of heaven. He revealed his glad to die love that affords us the chance to receive the love and identity that marriage can never provide. Marriage cannot give us the identity that we are desperate for. Marriage cannot provide the love that we are desperate for. No matter who you are attracted to on earth, Jesus affirms that his love is what will satisfy the deepest parts of us all. Only the love of Jesus. He became naked on the cross and bore the shame and humiliation so that we so that we so radically fear at times experience he was exposed and shame for us that we might be covered and loved by God. He was shame that we might feel no shame once again. When we look at each other, we might feel shame. Uh, we might not feel shame once again. I love this odd hymn that we are going to be finishing with and just making a few points quick. Rock of Ages. Rock of ages, claim for me, nothing in my hands I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Naked, come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Why were Adam and Eve without shame? Was it their marriage because their marriage was perfect? No, it was their standing with God. That's the reason why they were not shame, because they had standard so well with God. They were clear before and also before each other. Jesus comes to reinstate that status for us. He comes to reinstate it. Jesus clothes us with his shameless life despite our shame-filled lives. Jesus come. That's the reason why we talk of the cross. 
If you are married, listen to this. Your call today is to understand rightly that your marriage is not the ultimate one. Rather, it's meant to be the, ex- the example, the f- picture of the true marriage. And when we understand the love of Jesus, it has to get deeper to our hearts. If you are married, then you know when you understand the sacrifice that Jesus has done for you, you can also give the sacrifice back and the care and the love. For the singles and those in the difficult and tender, complex conversation of same-sex attraction, can I point you in the words of Paul as of first importance to this message, the gospel. It's in the gospel that we realize some very important things. Marriage isn't everything. Amen. Marriage isn't everything. And you have to break the lie today that says you are only somebody if you are with somebody. If my wife, she's with Christ, she's fulfilled, satisfied without Andre. If she's not there, I should be satisfied without her or without our kids. You have somebody, you are loved more than any healthy spouse or human ever could, and only Jesus. No one will be married in the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus, no Paul were married, and God promises that in his new covenant, he will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. That's what Isaiah 54, 5 tells us. Can I ask you to walk with someone? If you are single, who is filled with this gospel, love and compassion and wisdom, ask them to help you to see this goodness and love in Jesus. Ask them to say, help me, I want to see this. And stop to believe a lie that marriage is going to give you all that you need. For those looking into the message of Jesus, can, can you see in society around us how people are fighting for identity, how people are trying to find themselves, but Jesus is inviting you to receive a free identity and the ultimate one is inviting you into a relationship that is going to last. I'm going to ask Ephraim to come to, to the front as we land and, uh, and lead. And I want to ask you a question. Have you received this love? Have you, appropriate, have you appreciated this identity? Jesus calls us to, to quit striving, to earn his love and into a life that learns to enjoy it. In Jesus, we receive a new name. Everything we long for in romantic spousal love is available in Jesus. After all, this marriage is about that, the gospel. Can I ask you again a question? Are you aware of the identity you can receive today? Will you receive it? Will you enjoy it? Will you live in it? And if that's you and you are so desperate looking for identity, then today, join me. Join me as you either start or continue the journey of seeing the all-satisfying nature of the love and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray for those of you who are married and I want to pray for the singles and I want to pray for those who don't trust in Jesus yet on this subject of 
marriage. Women, men, and marriage. To those who are married, dear Lord, I pray that they won't give up. And I pray that they won't look at their marriage as the center, but they'll look at you, God, as the center of their marriage. I pray that they won't worship the marriage, but they'll worship you, God. I pray for singles not to idolize, not to isolate, but to trust in you, God. I pray right now, God, those who are following online, even those who are here, single people, that they won't isolate, but they'll trust you, God. They'll look at marriage as a gift from you, but not something that is going to replace you or something that will give them the ultimate joy or happiness that they're looking for. I pray for those who don't trust in you, God. I pray that they will be open to your spirit. I invite your leadership into their lives, Holy Spirit. Help them, forgive them, guide and lead them, especially in this area of marriage. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for our time together. Dear Lord, I pray as we leave this place, even those who are online, Holy Spirit, won't you continue to speak to each one of us? Father, that will be the people who are going to be very careful of things that are weak in position marriage and trying to replace you with it and all that it brings that will be the people who see it as a gift from you help us Holy Spirit dear Lord we give you the glory I pray for our church I pray that men and women in this community those who are married that God they will put you at the center of their marriages Lord, I pray for the singles in our community that today will find their joy and happiness in you, Jesus. And to that time when you open that perfect door, that you bring someone. Oh God, just the same way that you hold the hands of, of Eve and you, you take Eve to Adam. God, before then, I want them to find their joy in you. I, want, I pray that they'll find their happiness and joy in you, Jesus. We bless you, Father. Thank you for, for this time and the privilege and the opportunity we have to worship together. In your name, Christ, I pray. Amen.